Have you ever wanted to work in a flying ICU? Or maybe you're just passionate about saving lives. Right now you can realize your dream by applying to work for one of the best teams in the air medical industry. Air Methods is currently hiring qualified flight nurses, medics, and mechanics to join our air medical team. Check out our new salary and benefits packages. Visit airmethods.com careers and apply today. That's airmethods.com careers. This is Second Shift. Hey, everybody. Welcome Second Shift. Mike Verkast, Ratu Sani. I, it's not a visual podcast right now. No. It's just, uh, it's, it's, it, it's just audio. It's audio. Do you, do you know why it's audio only? I have an idea as to why it's audio only. Because we're actually fucking recording in person together. Oh, my God. Yes. At a new location. Yes. Well, we will disclose shortly. <laughs> yeah, we're in. The, we're doing this in the same room for the first time since we. I looked since January of 2020, because this is how it laid out. We oh. talked about this before, but we did a podcast January 2020. It was called "Dedicated to Maisie." Oh my my yes, that my remind him who Maisie was. Maisie is my little black dog. Yeah, Maisie Blue Sonny. No, oh. who was um she was quite old, and had dementia. Hmm. And uh, so we had to put her down because it was getting bad. Yeah. That was the start of 2020. That's sad. That is very sad. But boy, who knew that 2020 was going to be like that the whole fucking year? Dude, we watched this whole thing last, not to change the subject, but back to squirrel time. By the way, we're sitting in beautiful downtown Lake Oswego. Downtown. Yes. Lake Oswego. No longer at the old church. Nope. Those fuckers. <laughs> we did that for two years and they never even as much as retweeted. I mean, we might go back there because there, there may be times that I want to eat. Okay. That's fine. But, but, what, but quick, the, we'll tell them real quick where we're at. We are in downtown Lake Oswego, right? Lake Oswego. See, you got me thinking about how I say Lake Oswego. We're in downtown Lake Oswego. This is your hood. This is, this your is my hood. Yeah. This is the town that I live in and <clears throat> town where I've been the fire department's medical director since, 2003. 2004. Four. Yeah. Um, and we're at the Stein Distillery. Yes. We, if you've been paying attention, we've talked about Stein Distillery in the past. We did. The last couple of lives well, I, we've done. I think the last last live one I was drinking. You were. Uh, a, a, Stein a Stein Delivery. delivery. A Stein Distillery. He uh, said a little delivery tonight. If uh, you know. I'm, I'm, well, just I'm on one. I've done with one yeah, sample. We both have a little flight going. That's right. We'll get to that here in a little bit. But anyway, Stein Distillery, they got a beautiful tasting room in beautiful downtown. Beautiful downtown Lake Oswego. <laughs> Lake Oswego. And uh, yeah, we, they, uh, and so they sort of, well, you asked if we could come. I did. So they, they opened up a few months ago, I think. Yeah. After uh, opening just about January of 2020. <laughs> so yeah, the, the story of this is that it's in Eastern Oregon. And the, I like how Johnny described it. It's farm to flask. Yeah. Cool. That's very cool. So they grow their own grains. They've been around for about 12 or 13 years now. They grow their own grains and then from there distill their own product. And their first product was actually a rye vodka because you distill it and then it's done. Yeah. It was, no, we talked he, about that. It was a great Tuesday to yes, make vodka. This was a good Tuesday. Yeah. This was a good Tuesday vodka. Yeah. And like you said, you're not sitting on barrels for 10 years or whatever. You can kind of just immediately open up and start selling. Yeah. Makes so they, sense to me. They did that. You just don't think of rye as a vodka, yeah. but you can make vodka kind of out of every, anything. Yeah. I think. Don't they make that in the in the prison system? Well, they make prison hooch. And <laughs> That's not vodka. Is that what you're telling me? Uh, it, usually not. Usually it involves fruit. I was going to use the sound effect, but I don't remember where they're at. We're using my new little soundboard. I know. It's very sweet. And I'm looking I see for like the, dials. Well, I don't see any dials. It's all digital. Yeah. So I'm going to push this button. We'll see what this one is. Is that the laughter after I said prison hooch? Those crickets. I know. That's, that's okay. Jealousy. Let's see what this one is. Hey, there hey, you go. There you okay. Go. Prison hooch. Prison, hey. prison hooch. Hey, was that prison hooch? Uh, <laughs> all right. <laughs> and I, this, I, this is not prison hooch. No, so it's definitely not. Anyway, um, great place. 
appreciate these guys coming down. They grow their own stuff. It's just unbelievable. Yeah, and I think it's cool to try to um, support local. Yeah. Support local Oregon stuff. And, you know, they're everything's from Oregon. They're growing the stuff. They're, they're distilling it. They're putting it in the barrel. And they got bourbon. And now they have bourbon and rye and blend, blends. I think they're... Think that I think they have a ten year. Um, they, do they have a ten year? You have the menu. You no, know, well, I don't know. I'm just looking at the flight I got. Oh, this is the bourbon and rye. I, I know they have year, a two and a five year. Two and a five is what I got. I got a straight bull, two year, a five year straight bull, a two year ram rye, and a five year ram rye. That's a mouthful. Yeah, and you know what's cool is to. Oh, he's gonna break. See, he brought us a menu. Nice. Thank you, sir. So they go. It goes out to a nine year. Mm. And that's 110 bucks. Well, that's probably reasonable. Well, I mean, this is, you know, this is this is small batch stuff. Yeah. I mean, when you buy a bottle of something, the barrel number is right on there. It's all love that. Yeah. So it looks like two year and they said the bourbon is their um bourbon is the their biggest seller, but the reality is that the mass the distiller loves the rye. Well, you would know. Yeah. Or she, not sure what it is. I think it's a heat. I'm getting ready to try this five year. Uh, but anyway, it is so good to be back in person. Yeah. And doing stuff. Getting ready to, to plan doing more in person training again. Yeah. And uh, it just feels good. That's one That's one big thing I'm super excited about doing. You know, I've got some stuff lined up for this month already with uh, <clears throat> a group at work. So that's good. We're going to have Life Flight come out. We're going to do some hot load training trauma assessment uh it's gonna be good so kind of back to basics on some of this stuff yeah so i'm looking forward to getting back out to the people absolutely yeah well and you know we've done zoom training and q a's i think some of the stuff that we do i think will still continue agreed um i think we we pushed some stuff out there and there's no reason why like you and i can't push stuff out on a regular basis yeah to the crews and i think we'll continue to do that but I think it, we, we got to be out there and we got to be visible. And, and I, you know, these skills that we teach, whether it's cardiac arrest management or DSI or whatever, perishable. require practice. It's perishable. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, they're definitely perishable skills. And I think we've seen some of that, you know, just based on little little things here or there. Nothing, nothing major. But, you know, even talking to the crews who crews that maybe wouldn't normally request EMS training. Dude, can we do something? Can we do something? Can we can we get back in there and start getting back at it? So I, that's nice to hear, and I'm glad to hear that that they're interested in doing that. So let's let's take it to the people. Yep. And then you know my schedule, our schedules have been so busy, and then they're just going to get busy again. Yeah. Just replacing Zoom meetings with in person meetings. Yeah. And what was I mean? What worked for me with a lot of this stuff was all these back to back meetings. I wouldn't have to drive around. Oh man, are you kidding me? But but that's going to come back. Your watch keeps hitting our I new know, stand. That, that's why I moved If you it. hear random noises, that's because we're getting used to new equipment. Because we're not used to being in a room. Yeah, well, this is the first time we've ever done this. It feels like it's our first time. <laughs> you know. Um, but you know, one of the other initiatives that people might remember we talked about was uh, the, our standardization of our kits. Yes. And uh, that's a project that's been going on for two years now. And uh, end of this month, they are getting rolled out, which is so amazing. It, I, I, can't, I can't believe it. Yeah. Like it's a, like it's a real thing, you know. And, um, man, I have posted some pictures here and there on social media, things like that. And, and uh, people, people can't believe it either because it just doesn't get done that often, right? Not an entire system. Like maybe an agency <laughs> which sounds kind of weird, but there goes the TriMet, very loud. Um, I heard something. Yeah, it was a giant bus. <laughs> you know, it, it's hard to standardize even in your own agency because people like the way they like stuff. Right? Yep. And I'm sure we're going to have some element of that. How many buses run through Lake Oswego? That's the 17th one in 12 <laughs> minutes. Well, none of them stop here. They just run through. <laughs> Actually, no, there's so, – so two blocks down is the – Transit station? That – the Safeway is like a transit station. Got you. Not yeah. a transient station. Not in Lake Oswego. Not in Lake Oswego. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so yeah, kits, the final inventories, because the entire county, regardless of agency, will all be on the same kit using the same inventory. Now, we're, we're, not, we're getting, not getting down to the point where it's the same brand of IV catheter. That'd be cool. Or the same brand of XYZ. But 
whatever it is, is going to be in the same spot in the same kit. I think the closer we are getting to that, the more excited the crews are. Like yeah. they, they may not tell you, some of them really tell you because they've been on a bad call and you know, you, you know what it's like if, well, maybe you don't know what it's like, but yeah, you just yard oh, sale. I, I do remember. I do know what it's like. Yeah. I spent some time on calls. I know. But imagine a com- uh, an agency comes, y- they use an entirely different system. Right. I mean, right? when I, when I did my field time, it was all with one agency. Yeah. And we, uh, I knew where, I, I knew where everything was in my bag, which was my doc bag. And I knew where everything was in their bag. Yeah. You know, so plus I only worked out on my bag anyway. Yeah. Well, you, it's probably best. And that was the kind of the interim thing we did. We've talked about for years is like, you should probably work out of your own kit. You know, it's probably better for everybody because otherwise you're going to yard sale that thing. But we have, that means we have to bring our kits. Yeah, true. You do have to bring your kits on the call with you. The other guys are already there. We don't need to bring our Yeah, kit. that's true. And we don't, do we need our suction or monitor? No, that's fine. They're already here. Don't, don't, narcs, don't bring the narcs. They're already here. Yeah. They'll have some. <laughs> anyway, but a lot of that's going to be the way of the dodo, and it's very exciting. Yeah, you know, I when I I've had the, the opportunity to work, do some NHTSA assessments, and one of the states that I looked at, they had like kits per county, yeah. but they were like mandated, and it was very weird because we have agencies that work across counties, yeah, and they had to have a separate kit for each county that they worked in. That's a pickup truck. It was a pickup truck. <laughs> yeah. And what I like too about the way we've done it is that it's been uh, system wide, participatory, voluntary. And and what drives it is that we came up with funding for it, right? Right. Everybody's and, willing to. You pay for it; they're willing to do it. Right. Yeah. And I, and I guess that's kind of a big deal too, because that's you know some of the feedback I've gotten from from people on social media are like, man, how did you guys pull that off? Well, we paid for it. Yep. Right. That that's the number one thing. I think anybody could do this. <coughs> there should be a cough button. Yeah. <clears throat> should have one on your mic. Just yeah. Or on the board or something. Anyway. But yeah, I mean, there's nothing special about what we did. We just happen to have the funding and the people to support that. And so that's what we did. And it's been cool. Yep. I mean, it's the same funding that we're using to standardize our patient care charting and standardize and then you know, we're, 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 we did it with uh, McGrath yep. a few years ago. So everyone has the same VL. And yep. I still wish we would have had more money. I mean, the McGrath's fine. Wouldn't you like to record, though? Absolutely. Golly. I don't feel like we missed the boat, but maybe we missed a little bit. But We did a little bit but because my other county records, and it's, it's pretty fantastic. We look at every... Somebody looks at every intubation yeah. that happens in that county yeah. between all the agencies, between myself and Mo, since we're the two medical directors. That would be Dr. Daya. And, and I think Mike Schertz looks at his, too. So, so the three, you know, we're the three medic, main medical directors in that county. And, yeah. and between the three of us, somebody's looking at every one. Yeah, that's, that's what we, I, I would like, and, and maybe we need to look at that again. Uh, I was, you know, maybe. It's a million bucks. It's a million dollars, dude. A million? Uh, I think a million dollars. It was one. <laughs> that was not the effect I was looking for. This one. It's a million dollars. Okay. We're going to get a million dollars. Which we do not have a million dollars <laughs> no. in our funding. No, account. so if anyone uh, knows of any, uh, you know, sources of cash <laughs> besides Powerball, that would be great. <laughs> if, well, maybe if... One of our, you know, EMS leaders gets wins the million dollar vaccination lottery. Oh, that's they true. They will put it. To- <laughs> yeah, but after that, you're only looking at what half a million after taxes. Probably, and that's that's not even that much. No, I would I would literally I would, I would rather not get the shot. <laughs> it's not about not getting the shot. It's about you know get vaccinated, people. Yeah, yeah, get your shot. That way you can come in person, like this to the Stein Distillery. Right. Masks are still required, which is why we continue to sip on our exactly that. That's what how we get around that. Yeah, so, but we're vaccinated also. So yeah, it's cool. Well, and what's driving the decision to when we can finally take our masks off is when seventy percent of our population is vaccinated. Yep, and we just heard uh, the other day that we were well, and that was a week ago. So I don't know, I don't know how much progress has been made, but I think we needed like one hundred twenty-seven thousand. 
more people to get their vaccine. And, uh, you know, they were doing what, about 19,000 a day at one point. I think that was the numbers they were talking about. Yeah, I mean, they were peaking at like 40,000 a day. Yeah, that's pretty in, good. In Oregon. That's but I think slowed down a lot. Slowed down a lot. And yeah. and I hear, you know, from talking to people, though, I hear of EMS agencies with only 20 to 30% yeah. vaccine uptake. And that makes my that makes my heart sad. Yeah. And I think, you know, we certainly talked about it at length. We've done a couple of, po- you know, we did a couple of podcasts about mRNA technology in particular because we think it's safe and effective and and better than getting COVID. Yeah. Well, especially when fine you're like you, a five foot five round 53 year old man <laughs> with asthma. That's fine. As long as, uh, you know, you want the government changing your DNA. I mean, it's fine if to get right. a shot. But man, my cell phone reception smoking. since I got Well, and most people don't realize that the 5g doesn't even kick in until your second shot. So, right. Like, so people, need to I know I was, through. I found, I found, that I was disappointed after the first shot. Yeah. So, th- so this is, we haven't done it this way in a while, right? So the dynamic is a little different. Yeah, it's a little bit different. It's, uh, we don't, uh, we're not feeding, you know, we have, when people watching on live and then they're, and they're um, sort of interacting. Interacting. We have people like looking at us as they walk by. And, yeah, and it's like, a pretty big deal. It's, we're a big deal. Yeah. One of the top 10. <laughs> One of the top 10 EMS, EMS podcasts. podcasts. Yeah, exactly. Here. Yeah, that still, uh, that still stands, by the way. <laughs> We're definitely one of the top 10. Uh, there's another podcast. There is. That just, uh, that just debuted with its introduction episode. Yeah, that's right. A Fire Dog podcast. <clears throat> it is a Fire Dog podcast. So no. Uh, Not a member of the Flightbridge family. No, it is literally its own Fire Dog production. The first one. Maybe there'll be more. I don't know. It's pretty cool. But it's called That One Day. And the whole premise is it's a, it's a storytelling uh, podcast. And uh, they'll never be longer than 10 minutes. Although the first episode was pressing my, uh, pressing my time limit a little bit. It is actually 10 minutes and 38 seconds. But... <sighs> So technically, I've broken my own rule right off the bat, out of the gate. But it was a really good story, and I cut off five minutes as it was. People will never know. Right. But so what's in there, like, had to be in there. Like, there was no other way around it. So it's fine. It's still got a 10 on the timer. So 10 there you minutes. Go. There you go. And if you were to round, actually, you can't, well, it's like 1038, so I can't even round it down to 10. Whatever. Got a chop. I need to subscribe to it, actually. Yeah, you should. I did not subscribe. By yet. the way, I listened to your intro. But it I is available subscribe. on every single platform out there. iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Google. Google. What is the name of your podcast? <laughs> it is called That One Day. And it might be easier because uh, I know it's not high in the searches. <laughs> Just so you know, it's the only podcast with that name. So how you can search for it. It came up first. Hey, look at that. On my list. Wow. One day, Mike Vercast. Okay, wow. I wish it said Fire Dog Productions. I don't know why it says Mike Vercast. Must have been something in the way I set it up. Oh, I'm going <clears> to <throat> give it a five star. Thank you. And leave me a rating as well. Uh, it's the, the first episode is three minutes. Yeah, a review. Sorry. Yeah, Mike is my best friend. <laughs> Do you like, like the review of Second Shift My Daughter Left? I haven't looked at those. We have about 80 of those. She left a review saying that. I love this show, and I, Dr. Sonny's like a father to me. <laughs> it's classic. Yeah. So good. Uh, but oh, anyway. So they changed it. It's now it's follow instead of subscribe. Yeah. It's it's a little bit weird. And th- and really, it's an interesting thing out there, people. Uh, if you are interested in doing a podcast, I learned a ton. Like, in actually publishing and getting one out there and getting it on all these places, which I had never done before because Flight Bridget is, uh, they sort of self publish. Right. So they, they do all the stuff themselves. I went sort of an easier way and just bought a membership and I used Libsyn and yeah. blah, 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 do whatever. But anyway, so I learned a lot, but you still have to go out and sort of get it on all these places and jump through all those hoops and do all that. And it wasn't that hard. And, and in, in a, probably a process of about five hours, I was pretty much up on every single uh, platform, which was kind of cool. So I think it used to be difficult, but it's not. I guess that explains why there's 7 million podcasts, but there's only about 700,000 that are actually doing stuff. 
That's about right. Because <laughs> now, now, I mean, we're everybody, the, everybody wants to do one, but no one wants to keep doing one. Right. And, and even we run into that, this, right? We, we go through spurts. Like December, we recorded like 83 podcasts. Yes. And then we took a little break. And then we were sort of <laughs> off. We were in breach. <laughs> in breach. Yeah. You know. Because we should, we should be doing two a month. And and it's funny because what happens is the listenership sort of wavers with that, right? Absolutely. Like, like so consistency is what people like. And so that's what we are going to strive to do, get back in that saddle. I mean, it isn't like we haven't been doing stuff. We've just been doing it live, right? So we got views on Facebook and Twitter and, and, and Twitch. And uh, so our listeners, when we publish that, which one is that? The bourbon's nice. Oh, yeah. I'm going to hit that one the in a five-year. Yeah, that's the one I'm on. Yeah, the five-year bourbon. But anyway, so it's good stuff. Let's let's talk some more EMS, though. I don't want to bore people. I think we've bored people for quite some time. We talked some EMS That's already. 20 minutes. Well, we had to catch up. But we also did talk about, you know, the, the kits yeah, and some other course, stuff like that. Yeah, of course. Of course. Ketamine. Is that what you want to talk about? Well, I mean, it seems to, it's the never-ending topic. Look at it this way. It, it took a worldwide pandemic to remove ketamine from from no. the topic board. Yeah. And yet it still continues to be a topic. It, it does. And uh, we won't bore people with the details. Everybody knows that ketamine sort of been under fire. Colorado has been a, an interesting situation there where they have uh, effectively legislated it. Well, they're, they're legislating now. They have not. Um, well, locally they've done some stuff. Says, so in Aurora, Colorado, yeah. The, the state, the city of Aurora has said that they basically the city council banned the purchase of ketamine by any city agency. So they basically said you can't buy ketamine if you're the fire department in Aurora. No, that, that's not the right sound effect. Damn it. I'll, one of these days I'll know what they are. You could put little labels on them. Well, you want me to try good. that again? So they've effectively banned ketamine. Because what you want to do is give a man with ADD right. a bunch of a fucking bunch of buttons, buttons to, to push. push in the middle of a podcast. Well, here's a thing right here. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they're labeled right here. I haven't taken my, I, you know, I haven't taken Adderall today, so I'm, I'm ready to just jump over the table and start. <laughs> it. Oh, that's good for when I have a bad line. Yeah, that's true. Sad trombone. Yeah, sad trombone. Anyway. I'll just leave that screen up so I know which one I'm doing. Because, <laughs> yeah, you've already got the levels dialed in. Yeah, yeah, we're, we're dialed. See, now I've totally lost. Anyway. Ketamine. Ketamine. Aurora. Aurora. You can't buy it. You can't, they can't buy it. A city agency can't buy it. <laughs> but since that time, the state has uh, debating um, legislation that has a lot, that basically says things like, you can't give somebody a weight-based medication without actually weighing them. Um, it all, yeah. Okay, well, that's know, fair. Carnival weights that that, that <laughs> yeah. we do step right step up. Step right I'll, up. I, I, I guess can, your weight. Yeah, that's good. Um, which is weirdly like logical, but not helpful. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I didn't even, you know, I. I, I pulled up the paper that we, that we were going to mention. I didn't pull up the legislation, right? But the the you know they were, um, but they were also going to ban the use of any sedative, um, and and what this comes from is this false belief that ketamine is being used by EMS under police direction. This idea that the police are saying to uh, EMS. You know, give them this ketamine so that we can arrest them, hmm. which uh, is not happening, which has never been happening, but which a lot of people are worried about. And from Colorado, I think we've talked about the specific case, but it it comes from the Elijah McClain death, right. which was a, a young black man who um, received ketamine and then died. And um, <clears throat> kind of a lot of the problems that went on with that case, including the dosing, um, including what initially led to the point where, where there was some type of uh, agitation or, or some type of, I'm trying to be, you know. Understood. Yeah, you know. Yeah. The, you know, the situation that led up to the part where there was a struggle yeah. that led to him getting ketamine. Yeah. Um, and, in you know, it, 
we've talked about this before too, but you're trying to wrap a medical issue into a social justice issue and it's just hard to make it work because one is in, you know, one is sort of clinical science and one is not. Yeah. Um, I also, I mean, one of the lessons about, about that case in general though, is just you're always on camera act like it. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, I, that, that piece there, I mean, it's a separate issue when we'll get to the, because we're really going to talk about a paper that just came out the, that looked at ESO data and some friends of ours were all up in that doing that. So, so we're going to talk about that. I am 100% sure Jarvis is going to cover this on Lighthouse. Like there's no question. I think he's working on that probably as we speak. He's probably already written the script because he is scripted where we are not. Exactly. (laughs) If you didn't know that. If you didn't know that about us. Yeah. Howdy y'all. Howdy, y'all. Howdy, y'all. This is Dr. Jeff Jarvis sitting in with my buttery voice. Anyway. <laughs> He's got the buttery Texas voice. Yeah, we just... Uh, I'm the gun-toting Texas liberal. Vegetarian. <laughs> is he? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. And I love him for it. Yeah. yeah but good. he still likes to hunt. Yeah. I'm not even sure what we were talking about. We were talking about ketamine and, <laughs> and knowing... Well, I know we were talking about that. I'm not that far putting off. Putting the two ADD guys in the room together... For the first time. For the first one time. Year, in, you are being subjected to months. some shit. Um, and knowing that you're on camera. Yeah. Know that people Thank are you. watching yes, you. Yes, that was, that was the piece that I was going to talk about. In fact, we, we, spend, I mean, we don't spend a lot of time talking about this in Academy, but we bring it up a lot because everybody's got a phone. Everybody's got essentially video camera. And, and so the question, cause we, we watching videos about situational awareness, right? In where some firefighters have gotten in trouble, um, assaulting patients, some where some paramedics have, um, gotten into some trouble for some of their behaviors. Like, so we watch a lot of this kind of stuff and because that's the best way to learn. And so I talk about that a lot is what do you do when someone comes up and they're literally in your face with their camera and they all say the right thing. Ignore them and just do your job. Mm -hmm. So uh, probably easier said than done in the heat of the moment, but at least they're thinking about it. And I, and I like that. And not everybody thinks about that kind of stuff. They just sort of are reactive. Yeah. And I think, I think the other piece too, though, is just, there's no private moments. It's not, it's, it's not even just when somebody's holding a camera in your face. It's when you don't see the camera. Like every time you're on a call with police, there's a camera there yeah. recording your every move. Um, I mean, some of the early ketamine controversy in Minnesota came from reviewing police um, body cam footage where, where they were involved in these sort of mental health patients and police would ask for ketamine which isn't really what was happening, but that's how it looks to the layperson. Hey, too bad we didn't have some ketamine laying around somewhere. We could take care of this asshole. That's right. <laughs> oh, I got some out in the ambulance. Hey, bro, why don't you go grab it? Okay. The crickets just keep going on and on, don't they? That needs to be a little bit shorter. It needs to be a little shorter. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Anyway, let's uh, let's talk about this paper real quick. Well, you know, it's our friends at ESO, um, Antonio Fernandez. Do you know Tony? I do not. You you might have you been to Wave in person? I have not been to Wave. That's right, because you didn't go last. So time. when we switched to ESO in January of nineteen, uh, yeah, January of nineteen or January in twenty twenty? No, no, no. We, sw- yeah, no, it's January of twenty twenty. You're right. But I think we were in the planning stages. So I think we went in 19. That, I think that's what I was getting at. We had, we had a delegation that went out there to check it out. And, um, and uh, anyway, long story short is I have not been. I was supposed to have been. And then COVID and then budget and then name your whatever. Right. Haven't made it. <clears throat> and will not make it. Well, I've known Tony for a long time because Tony was one of the registry uh, fellows. Oh, okay. When that I would was, be national registry. When I was on the national registry board, so Tony, like our friend Remily, got his PhD from a community college, um, <laughs> the Ohio State University Community College. That's right. Okay, because as we know, the National Registry of EMTs is located in True. Columbus. Yeah. Um, so I've known Tony um, 
he was one of our first fellows. I've known him a long time. And then he went to North Carolina. Okay. And uh, was the data person, PhD lead person for the North Carolina Performance Improvement Center. Oh, okay. Which was like a data um, uh, warehouse for the EMS system for the state of North Carolina. And ESO bought the PIC. And lo and behold, they got Tony Fernandez as part of that. Well, that sounds like a pretty good deal. Yeah. Um, so they picked up some talent there. And yeah, Tony, uh, Antonio Fernandez is the lead author. And there are some people that have been guests on this show. Absolutely. Like I, Scott Bourne. I think er- there's more people that have been on the show than not. Right. Because I think there's only two that haven't been exactly. on the show. So it was Antonio Fernandez, not been on the show. Dr. Scott Bourne. On the show multiple yeah. times. Friend of the show. Friend of the show. Remley Crow, same. Friend of the show. Oh, wait. Stein Bronski. I don't think. No. no. Hasn't been on here. Uh, Ken she- Shepke, not been on here. Uh, Peter, this old house, and Tevi uh, has been on here multiple times. In fact, I would say more than a friend of a show. I don't know. He, he was on the second shift before you were. Oh, I know. I'm aware. Yeah. I think he was on the second episode or was, first episode. It he was, wasn't on the first episode. It was pretty early, long before he was anybody. He was on the second shift. He's always been somebody. Yeah. That's not, that's not exactly what I meant, but sort of. <laughs> and of course, Dr. Brent Myers. Friend of the show. Friend of the show, for sure. He's been a guest multiple times. Yeah. So anyway, I think there was a bunch of people standing around going, God, I wonder, is there... Is there 11,291 patients that received ketamine that we could look at? Yeah. And it turns out there was. There was. And part of this was, you know, when we, when we started having this conversation about ketamine nationally, yeah. um, you know, the, the good thing about Brent is that he another bus <laughs> this rush hour in downtown that's it, there you go the good thing about brent is that not only besides being the the, the cmo or the, the chief medical officer for eso brent's obviously a well-known ems physician yep. and a board member former president of nemsp and brent and i worked together on a lot of these advocacy issues and as this stuff started kind of coming out national press etc brent's like i have a i have I have data. And so they started sharing some of this data and they're like, let's do a formal review and write it up as a paper. And that's what happened. And that was. And that was printed in the um, Annals of Emergency Medicine. Yep. And it was just published. uh, What is today? Today is June 8th. I think this came out yesterday or the day before. I think so. Yeah, it's uh, just this week sometime. It's not in print yet. It is just online. Right. And so the, the actual... Um, Papers called Out of Hospital Ketamine Indications for Use, Patient Outcomes, and Associated Mortality. Again, uh, Fernandez et al., which is kind of cool. Yeah. And, you know, I think the first and foremost question is, or, you know, from a, from a medical perspective, this isn't a question. But this, again, this idea that EMS people gave ketamine and then passed them off to somebody else yeah. to go take to jail. That's just not true. Yeah. I mean, in 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 ninety nine percent of the cases, um, the patient was ultimately transported to the hospital, and I think the cases where they weren't were all like cardiac arrest deaths. Yeah, and they actually talk about those specific cases to some extent. Well, they don't talk about them, but they bring the data about those particular cases in. Right, uh, the eight eight on scene deaths and one hundred twenty in hospital deaths, and they reviewed them all. Yeah, look at figure. So. Uh, but real quick, I want to I want to co- kind of come back to the genesis of this because, and maybe this is not the first time that data has been presented on behalf of an advocacy. Sort of the the reason for the paper was to advocate for the safe administration and use of ketamine in this case. Would, I mean, would you agree with that? Like, this this isn't a this is this about ketamine? I mean, it is, but. This is advocacy disguised as research that that makes puts a negative connotation. And I don't mean it to, I think, I think this is why do you do research? Well, you're trying to answer a question and this is an important clinical question clearly. And this is an important clinical question that people have been bringing up 
to the point that it was expen- it was extending to beyond it was going from EMS to emergency medicine where there was a lot of poor knowledge around ketamine and EMS use. Yeah. And, and then um, from from emergency medicine to you got anesthesiology weighing in, you know, <laughs> or I would call it chiming in. Yeah. And well, but they have a lot of, they've played a big role in this Colorado piece. Yeah. Um, and you know, they had some interesting responses to when our folks talk to their folks. I'm not sure I'm allowed to mention them. Copy. <laughs> um, but, uh, and then a psychiatrist who, who, I mean, this, this topic was covered on 60 minutes. Yeah. And so, yeah, the idea that you have a you have a medical problem or question that has reached the public consciousness and that you have data that can answer some of those questions, I think is is uh, um, does play some role. Now, this is not a randomized control trial, double blinded. This is retrospective and observational to describe the clinical impact in usage of a certain medication that has been, in this case, been receiving a lot of basically false assumptions about how it's used. And, and you know, to the point, I mean, it's to the, to, to remove this medication would be detrimental to patients. And I just, you know, we did a quality improvement meeting today where we looked at a number of our, patients who received pain medications and a number of them got ketamine and a number of them got no relief from opioids and then got great relief from ketamine. Yeah. Um, so this is a, this is to remove this medication would create a problem. So here, here's a quick summary. Uh, the editor's capsule. So what is known on this topic it says ketamine is often used in the auto hospital setting. Um, what question is this study addressing, which I thought is good. So what are the indications for and the outcomes after use of out of hospital ketamine? And it says in this electronic health care record study of uh, 1,322 emergency medical agencies throughout the United States and over 11,000 patients receiving ketamine, primarily for pain or agitation control. Subsequent hypoxia and hypercapnia were not uncommon. So that's an important thing to remember. And ketamine may have contributed to two of eight on-scene deaths and six of 120 in hospital deaths. And it says, how is this this relevant to clinical practice? Out-of-hospital ketamine use has benefit and risks. Closer surveillance uh, would help better define the best use of this agent. So that's the editor's capsule, which I always love those. Yeah. And I think the other thing that's interesting about this is this is not published in PEC. This is published in Annals of Emergency Medicine. So who's the, the, and, and you know, the Annals has a, a bigger impact factor. It has more subscribers. Uh, Annals does publish, obviously, EMS research. Yeah. But I'll be honest, if you're, if you're looking to, um, get with like the leaders in EMS, PEC is a great place to publish. Agree. But this is aimed not just at EMS people, but at the wider emergency medicine audience. And to, to one, yes, there are risks to using ketamine, particularly in agitated delirium or uh, for sedation. Um, and there should be pieces in place to help, you know, you should monitor these people. Well, and that's I- not... Yeah, I mean, like I, news. No, no, that's that's just what I was gonna say. Was I? I mean, I mean, if you look at our system, for example, we have deliberately chosen—is that a word? Chose? Yeah, I guess so. To not use it in certain circumstances, right? We primarily we use it for pain. We use it for RSI. We don't at this point use it for agitated patients. Um, I think we've got some other medications that. Uh, thankfully we got Haldol back. Yay. Troperidol. We got Droperidol. That's what I meant. Droperidol. That's what you meant. We've had Haldol, but we got, we got Droperidol. Um, I mean like 
I think it took three separate lighthouse projects about it before Jeff could get it back. Yeah. It's pretty funny. <laughs> he loves that. Um, but anyway, I mean, so, you know, we've, we've deliberately intentionally not put it in the proto and I say we, but the powers that be, I mean, I guess I'm part of that. So I shouldn't shortchange that very much. I get in trouble when I shortchange paramedics on the air. People tell me to stop doing that, but you know, we're aware of those things. We pay attention to those things. So we just, we're just not quite there yet. I think there are, I think, I think that, you know, it comes up every year. Um, I think that in this particular year, ketamine, it felt way controversial to add that in. Yeah. And I mean, I'll be honest in my practice, if I have Draperidol available, nah, I'm not sure I necessarily need ketamine. Um, I do think that ketamine is better than our other alternatives, although I'm not, there are other medical directors in our organ, in our situation so in our that, that don't agree with me. And yeah. we run on a, um, as, as many of you have listened to our, our um, protocol podcast, we run on consensus basis and, um, in theory, one person can quote unquote block things, and we don't really do that. We just look for a wide agreement. Exactly. And, and in most cases, when we have some disagreement, uh, people will just say, "No, you can put it in the protocol," and we'll just, I, my agency won't do it. Yeah, that's um, a good compromise. You know, and that's what we do, and that works out great when that individual has oversight over both the first responder and the transport agency in in that system. But when you have like in, in our two counties where you have the, some medical direction that's got some of the first responders and others that have some of the, you can get a little bit of conflict on scene. Yeah. But again, um, yeah, we require a consensus approach and there are some people who are still not comfortable with ketamine. So. All right. So back to the paper. They looked at, again, 11,000 patients that received ketamine pre-hospital. Um, a whole bunch of agencies. Let's get to some data here. And this was, and I think one of the things that's important is that this was one year. So <laughs> yeah. there are 11,000 uses. Yeah. So this idea that, that was one of the other ideas that we people were putting out there, well, that ketamine is not very often used. It's sort of a, you know, just only a few places use it. No. It's it was, a wild card. It was 11,000 usages in in 1300 agencies and it was all in one year yeah so the way they kind of broke it down if we look at uh, i believe this is figure one i think it's actually not marked it just says figure so i'm assuming that's the first figure i don't know i'm assuming you have one figure when you only have figure i, I guess so so it says uh 911 patients that had, had ketamine administered 12,386 uh some are were in arrest before arrival uh, some people had ketamine infusions. Some people had uh, date or time not documented. Um, it, or the route was not documented. So 70 people, 79 people did not have the route. It was documented, which is sort of weird to me. Anyway, that left us with a grand total of 11,291. Uh, nine patients released on scene. Interesting to me about that. Now, I is that to, to like... The jail? I mean, I don't, I don't know exactly what that means just yet. Eight of them died on scene. Um, those are the ones that they were talking about in the study, which left 11,274 patients uh, that were transported. That's a pretty big number. Uh, not what they're making it out to be, where we just are just giving it to everybody and just sending them on their way. Right, or sending them with the police. Or, yeah, exactly. So nine out of 11,291 patients weren't, weren't transported. Yeah. But we don't know much about, well, 17 when you count the eight deaths, yeah. too. Um, we don't know much about, they didn't really tell us about those patients. Yeah. Anyway, and so they had they had a, uh, hello, yay, yo. Uh, again, 11,274 patients that were transported. 9,244 did not have a linked ED disposition, which which bothers me a little bit because, God damn it. I'm going to do sad trombone. I think that number speaks volumes. We have no idea from a crew level 
what is happening with our patients because we don't get feedback from the hospital. <laughs> don't look at me. I'm, I'm on your side. I agree. And I think, you know, we're working, we're working in our system to try to make we that are. happen. But you have to, everything costs money and you got to find people who want to spend the money and convince people that, you know, the challenge I'm having now is that the people who I'm talking to think that Epic just does it automatically. Yeah. And you all just need to, ch- and it's, I'm like, well, that doesn't work like that. No, it doesn't. Yeah. Well, they're like, no, no, we can get a PDF of your chart into Epic automatically. I'm like, that's not what I'm asking for. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I am asking for, uh, I want the data back for my crews. So the split's pretty interesting. So now I'm looking at table one. So this is the patient counter characteristics. Pretty interesting stuff. So it breaks down the male and female. Uh, so of the 11,291, 57% of those were male, 42.3 were female. Uh, majority, 70% were white. Um, and it sort of breaks it down. Black, 16%. Other race, not Hispanic or Latino, 2.4%. Uh, Hispanic or Latino, just over 10%. Age was interesting. So it goes all the way down from zero years to greater than 90 years. And um, if you were a betting guy, zero to nine, 10 to 19, 20 to 29, 30 to 39, 40 to 49, 50 to 59, so on and so forth, all the way up to 90. Which group do you think got the most? I know you're looking at the study right now, so I'm not really asking you, but if you were the one that was saying, I bet you the 20 to 29-year-old, you are correct. I don't think that's a big shocker to us. No, right? especially when you talk about behavioral as being yeah. part, part of the issue, yeah. altered mental status. And and we know that those behavioral patients are going to be a combo of behavioral plus some sort of stimulant intoxication kind of situation. Yep. They were also the same group of the 5,500 people that got uh, ketamine for trauma or pain. That was also the same uh, group. There was the 20 to 29 year olds. So they were, they were pretty much consistently across the board, the kind of the bigger group there. Um, Altered uh, status uh, behavioral. I mean, is it, but is it a surprise that ketamine's two uses are for trauma and behavioral and the, the group of 20 to 29 makes up the largest chunk of oh, those patients. Yeah. So yeah. No, it just, it makes, just reflects the, the breakdown of those, those, um, those complaints or those situations in our patient population. Yeah. Um, it was nice to see that um, people that were over, I don't know, 60 looks like 23. So almost uh, 23, almost 30% of these patients were over the age of 60, which was kind of cool. So they're taking care of their pain. They're trying to find ways to do that. So that's pretty awesome. Uh, let's see here. What else can I tell you? Uh, let's see here. So the dose, the median for the dose uh, was 1.5 milligrams per kilogram. Uh, sort of overall for pain, it was 0.5. And that ranged from 0.2 uh, milligrams per kilogram to one milligram per kilogram. Uh, for pain. Uh, interesting because at least in our system, right, we are a sort of a, a straight up single, single dose where it's not weight based. Right. We decided to go to it because the data, some of the emergency department data showed that you get similar pain relief anywhere from 0.15 to as high as 0.5. And so we felt like, well, if you go if you look at our patient population and you multiply it by those different numbers, you know, a number of like 25 milligrams kind of plops in for every size. Yeah. yeah. And so our, our, our dose actually had changed a couple of years ago. It was started off at 15 with a repeat of once. Right. And then uh, it was subsequently moved up to 25 with a repeat of once as well. So yep. anyway, so that's pretty much right in line with what we were talking about. Um, and and I do think that's a, you know, I mean, that's one of the challenges with um, or one of the controversies around this drug is it's a, theoretically supposed to be weight based uh, and people were not giving weight based dosing in some of the in the reviews of at least one of these cases. And um, I, I think that, you, you know, th- th- this has the therapeutic d- index and the index to cause harm in ketamine are they're very wide yeah they're very disparate rather and and so you probably can create kind of a standard dose of ketamine in most situations that would um uh 
fit the bill. And it's the same like with, with like Atomidate, right? You know, we, we say you have a 0.3 milligram per kilogram dose of Atomidate, but really it's like 20, 25 or 30. You know, I, when I see charts where somebody gave, you know, 14.8 milligrams of Atomidate, I'm like, yeah, you bullshit. <laughs> sure. Sure. You do. The rest of your chart is a fucking lie too. that. So, <laughs> Uh, but anyway, that and that's it. We digressed, but but I mean, it is an interesting approach to these weight based medications to sort of try to pick a dose that sort of falls in the range. If you have a wide range of effectiveness, that's really helpful. If you have a if you have a if you have a drug that's got a very narrow mm-hmm. effective range, and then that the difference between the kind of to cause harm is very tight, then you can't do that. But again, ketamine has a for pain in particular has a very wide effective range and. It takes a lot of ketamine to get, you know, to get to that. Now, I, we've had a couple of cases, I mean, where like the 25 milligrams on the on the little tiny old lady showed up with a, I had a complaint from a hospital that was like, well, the lady was pretty sedated. I'm like, well, was she having pain? They're like, no. I'm like, okay, well, then what's the problem? Did she need to... <laughs> Yeah. Oh, and we got a honk. Yeah, we got a honk too. It's like <laughs> uh, we're in New York City. That's right. And um, and they're like, well, she she just she couldn't give me a history. I'm like, well, how long did that last? Fifteen minutes. I'm like, yeah, oh, fuck you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, really, you're gonna complain to me that somebody got fit? Yeah. Poor, poor people. Fifteen minutes. <laughs> oh. So back to the paper, I, and I'm not gonna read every single one of these, but there, I just find that there's a few interesting pieces on it. So number of administrations, I thought this was interesting. Uh, by far, the majority of people that got it for any reason, uh, one dose seemed to do it for most people. And it looks like um, for pain, 71, uh, so we'll just call it 72% of the people only got one dose. Uh, for altered mental status and behavioral issues, 78%. Almost 79% just took one dose. Um, and that pretty much went across all the way. So, and I think the other, I think the other thing that's interesting that tells here, me the dose is probably right. I mean, can you yeah. read something out of that? I mean, uh, I, I, yeah, I think so. I mean, maybe, maybe. But I, I think the other thing that's interesting about indications is that there's 248 administrations in this data set for seizure. Yeah. And, you know, we've talked, I think Peter's, has he talked with us? I don't know. We've I had this conversation so. with Peter Antevi about yeah. ketamine and you know, it's NMD, it's a, it's effects. And, um, he uses it as a rescue medication now for seizures in his system. But I, I don't think his system did 248 administration. Yeah, probably not. So there's a growing chunk out there that are using it. Um, so I think that's another interesting piece about this. Yeah. And in seizures, by the way, one administration, 75% of the time seemed to do the trick. Uh, two doses, 21% of the time, and three or more, just eight times out of that. So interesting stuff on seizures. Anyway, what's the bottom line here? To quote the Jarvis. <laughs> the buttery Jarvis. The buttery Jarvis. I, mean, I think that the bottom line is that I mean, you got to look at the, we didn't really talk about the complications. Oh, we can. Yeah. Oh, no, we totally can. I mean, can. I think that's the big thing is like, what was the outcome? I mean, I mean, did we have complications? And we did. Um, well, Sierra, make me, you're going to make me look farther down. So, yeah, thank you. You, you just, we might have to take that board away from you. I know. I can't, I can't help it. Yeah. And, and no, number one, I think, so the number one outcome, though, too, is nine patients weren't transported yeah. out of 11,291. 11, so, again, this idea, the idea, nine patients weren't transported to a hospital. This idea that ketamine is being used to arrest people is just false. Yeah. Unless people are giving ketamine not as part of the EMS record, in which case none of us would support that. Right, and I think you would... <clears throat> As an agency, wouldn't you know that? I feel like you would. Uh, I would feel like if I were a medical director, I would want to know that, and I would quickly quash that. Uh, but it's a controlled substance, so you have to keep an eye on it, right? Exactly. Um, anyway, so the there was um, a, a chunk of patients, 8.4% of the patients, um, who had a SAT of, 88, of less than 88 after ketamine 
after receiving ketamine who did not have previous hypoxia. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. There were some that had a sat of less than 88% before ketamine. Uh, 15% had hypoxia before ketamine. Well, no shit, right? That's what DSI is. Uh, you, especially if you have an agitated person who you're going to do a DSI in, they might be hypoxic when you first give them the ketamine. But so that's one. That's that's 8.4% that got hypoxic. Um, and, you know, I can tell you that uh, um, what percentage of patients who get opioids get hypoxic. That's a good question. I don't know the answer. Yeah. It's probably a little bit less than that, um, to be quite honest. But I don't know for sure. I haven't looked at that data. Um, they looked at that, and, and so that was part of the whole kind of, you know, there are some complications. But it's not, it's not that 8.4% got, um, like, intubated. So remember somebody will say, I, I've, had, I've had somebody say to me, well, in this one study, you know, 50% of people who got ketamine got intubated. And, you're, and that was the study that happened in Minnesota, and it was like more like 30%, but it turned out that it was the same guy. Same, same guy. Same, same guy into, yeah. intubating everybody. Mm -hmm. So there was um, some hypoxia, and then there was some hypercapnia. 17% uh, had their entitled CO2 um, increase. And, you know, that means that you're monitoring entitled CO2. What a cool concept. Way to go. What a neat idea. Uh, so, I, you know, I, I, don't, I don't find those to be major uh, complications by any stretch. Yeah. yeah. That's good. Yeah. So, um, I guess the point is, it's probably just fine to give ketamine as long as you've got some practices in place. You're monitoring your patients. You're transporting them. You're documenting well. Seems reasonable to me. I think that, and I think that you should be following the outcome on any patient whether they get ketamine yeah, or like triperidol yeah. or geodon or fentanyl, you know, what percentage of them get hypoxic, what percentage of them get hypoxic in the emergency department. Um, I mean, I, you know, I will tell you this. It's not, I mean, it's not totally uncommon for a nurse to come to me and go, yeah, I gave him that fentanyl and he kind of fell asleep and now it's like sats 87. So I put <laughs> him on a couple liters. Yeah. That actually happens pretty frequently the more I think about it. Hmm. So anyway, well, well, you know, and I, I think, I think ketamine use is one thing, but, uh, you know, I want to go, I want to go back 10, 20, 30 episodes when we talked about how we actually go about documenting these encounters. Right. And what was the reason we gave ketamine, right? If we're giving, if you were to give ketamine or any antipsychotic drug, you should, you should, you should be documenting sort of the behavior, right? Absolutely. And you should be using sort of a, uh, a, a system that has been validated to, to you know, um, uh, to document that, right? So whether it's the brosette or RAS or whatever, whatever other version of a behavior, sort of a rating scale, uh, because I think it just helps close the loop on a lot of this, right? I think you have to you have to paint the pictures to be very clear right, why but you're I, doing but it. But here's the thing, though: if you use that validated system, then it it sort of takes the subjectivity absolutely out and, of it, right? And so the, it's not what Mike said, but look, I, he was punching the wall, he was attacking yeah. police, um, and I'm not just saying that. But you you add that to this list, he had a score of X. Boom. Yeah, like I mean, we you know I. It was a quality improvement. I had a case today that one of our physicians partners complained about the patient receiving some medication and for their agitation and the crew had documented this was the pa the patient had a brosette score of four, which is the maximum. Yeah. And they're or not four. What is the brosette? Their, their RAS was four. Oh, okay. Their brosette score, they were high risk of violence and their RAS score was they were agitated. And I'm like, well, this is, this is objectively, you know, they meet the criteria and these are objective and you can't fake them. And, and, uh, that, that's that. Yeah. Pretty straightforward. So anyway, if you're not yeah. using something like Brosette or RAS, you should definitely check into that. Look at our protocols. Just Google up <clears throat> Clackamas County, Oregon, EMS protocols. You'll find it in there. Yep. It's Absolutely. Good stuff. All right, buddy. What else you got? Well, 
I mean, I, at this point, we've been at this for like an hour, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I was going to talk a little bit about uh, the arrest trial, but, I, you know, we can save that for the next time, too. Well, let's save it. Yeah. You know, it's... I mean, there's no need to get crazy. Here. There's no... <laughs> I, I do think we need to talk a little bit about ECMO again and, and um, you know, maybe we... What, with this new setup, we got to figure out how to get people who are guests, because if we're out somewhere... Well, they can call my phone. Right. And we can Bluetooth them right into the system, and we can have them on. They'll be able to hear us. They'll be able to chat. It'll be bitching. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, it's not as cool as, like, you know, a Zoomer or something like that, but... Yeah. Well, but the nice thing is we can be together. Yeah. I wonder if I could... I wonder if we should try this. Should we do an experiment real quick? I mean, I don't know. Do you want to call Jarvis? Do we have time? Yeah, we have is, time. is there enough time? <coughs> it's only 8 o'clock there. I want to see. If, I want to see how I can do this. Let me see if I can punch in and do this real quick. Let me turn the Bluetooth on. Bluetooth is on. We're gonna pair. Oh, we got to see if the the headphones will pair too. No, we're plugged in. No, I know, but oh, just I was just yeah. curious. Okay, so the Rode Podcaster or the Rodecaster Pro is is attached. So I'm gonna see what happens. So do you have a spot on that board for it? Yeah, it's just right here. Oh, the Bluetooth one. Yeah. Yeah, it even, it's got a little Bluetooth signal on I'm going to try it. I'm going to call Jarvis right now. Let's try it. You are, you are, you are firsthand watching some Listening. Here. It's not watching. Yeah, listening. I'm going to try it. Let's see if we can hear it. I hear it. Oh, my God. This is awesome. Hey, Mike. Hey, how are you, Dr. Hey, Jarvis? Welcome to the second shift. You are literally on second shift right now. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. How are you guys? <laughs> well, Ritu, you there? I'm here. Yeah, we're we're actually recording in person at a distillery oh tasting room here in beautiful downtown Lake Oswego. And awesome. Awesome. Mike's playing. We got a new board, and one of the things it does is directly you can call in to get your guests on through bluetooth so we're like let's try it out let's call jarvis and <laughs> sure shit i it, like it it worked somehow well i uh i have to apologize i'm not on a plane um <laughs> so you know but we're, we're getting better so y'all are in person like real live you can touch each other indeed indeed sitting across i mean please the table. don't um, <laughs> i mean but, we already we already went through that don't worry <laughs> okay good all right good 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 awesome but you're not at mcminimum no, we're at the we're at the Stein Distillery. Okay, in beautiful downtown. Lake and listen, Lake. I know you're a, you know you're a big McMinimins honk. All of a sudden, you know you spent a couple of I, days in Oregon, and now all of a sudden it's your thing. Hey, I'm I'm impressed. You know, you kept talking about it. Now that I've experienced it, I see what you're talking about. I like it. Yeah, no, it's actually really cool, and we and we'll probably end up going back there. But this was nice to come check it out and get back in the saddle. And I'll tell you, it's a little bit different being in person. You know, like we're out of practice. Yeah, we're we we yeah. are. We actually have gotten used to our visual cues and stuff on the screen. Yeah, so it is a mm -hmm. little bit different. Um, but yeah, we thought yeah. we'd call and check out, check 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 it out, make sure it worked, and it seems like it does. And then the other question I, like I had it. for you: Were you planning to? Do a lighthouse project on Tony Fernandez's uh, paper about ketamine. I am, as a matter of fact. So well, don't I am. don't listen to this episode of Second Shift. Then <laughs> I was going to ask you what was on the agenda. Um, <laughs> I was going to say that's going to be a hard one to to miss. So no, absolutely, yeah, you should I'm, still I'm, do it. I'm gonna I'm gonna do it while I'm down at Eagles, and I'm gonna interview uh, Rimley and Brent. Unfortunately, Tony isn't going to be there. Um, but rent, uh, rent, rent and Brimley will be <laughs> Rimley and Brent will be. So I'm going to interview. Yeah. And, uh, let's see. Ken Shepke is on the paper. Yep. Uh, Stein Bronski's on the paper. I suspect they will be in Florida. I may be able to get them on. Um, so yeah, we're going to, we're going to do an interview. And I told him I had to bribe him with drinks. Shocking. Well, that's easy. But, you know, it is a, it's a flight bridge production you know it's a it's a flight bridge podcast so we have to give you some booze all right buddy listen hey in, so you're on your way to eagles right like right now are you there like, no uh, no i leave week. monday oh it's next week shoot yep. okay my bad my bad yeah it's next week anyway all right buddy. So i have time i have time to listen to your wonderful insights about this paper and uh, yeah <clears throat> this this podcast you know, should be out this, this should be out this week yep my guess so yeah. I like it. Well, it'll give me something to listen to driving to the airport. Indeed. There you go. Perfect. All right, buddy. 
All right, guys. Y'all take care. Hey, good take talking care. to you. We'll see you. Bye. Bye-bye, buddy. There you go. Well, there you go. So we just did that. That is magic. <laughs> oh, my God. I love this thing. It's so good. It's good. It's right. good. Can I see what happens if I hit this button? Can I hit a button? Sure. It's going gonna, it's gonna to take a minute. And it's telling me that there's a minute left. But that's our outro. So I'm going to try to time our outro. If you listen closely, I can already hear it. I, I can just, hear it. I yep. just had my hearing tested, by the way. Huh? Pretty good for a 49-year-old guy. What? <laughs> we didn't even talk about your colonoscopy. Yeah. We'll get to that. We'll, <laughs> we'll save that juicy tidbit for the rest of the uh, time. You know, because that's what we do. That's what we do. We get a little too much information. <laughs> Who cares? That's good. Yeah. Okay. Buddy, it was great seeing you. It was wonderful being person. Yeah, it was nice. So live from the Stein Distillery, downtown Lake Oswego, Oregon, Mike Verkes, Dr. Ratusani. You've been listening to The Second, Second Shift. Second Shift is a production oh, see, he, of he, Flightbridge Ed, LLC. He got me. At I'm let him finish. All right. Anyway, you've been listening to Mike Verkes, Ratusani. You guys have a good one. We'll talk to you later. And it's a Fire Dog production. Too. It is Don't a Fire Dog that. production. Thank you. See, we're all fucked up.